Maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. We are in South Lake, Texas. We drove up and we stopped just to podcast for you guys. And uh, yeah, the Sooners lost their first game in 17 in their last 17 tries. Didn't even try to bury the lead on that one, Brandon. Nope. Nope, yep, nope. the Sooners lost. The Sooners lost 27-14 yep, to Baylor. Sucked. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in this one. Uh, whether you want to talk about the offensive line play, whether you want to talk about drop passes, whether you want to talk about I don't know a plethora of issues. Uh, there was a lot of bad. Jerry Bohannon on was... a QB power that could not be stopped. I would have ran that. Freaking play, and I almost said the F word every time if I could. Seriously. Well, until they stopped they ran, it. as long as they kept the ball out of the air, as long as they kept the ball on the ground with Bohannon or Abram Smith or Tristan Ebner, whoever it was that was doing the carrying for Baylor, they had immense success on the ground. It was, it was bad. It was, it was one of the worst performances in the Lincoln Riley era, and I don't think it's close. And then. Add the cherry on the top of the Sunday, if you will. And you've got, well, <laughs> you have the fans storming the field. Uh, no penalty, by the way. That's the new rule in football, apparently. That fans interfering with the actual game is now not a 15-yard penalty. Uh, it was weird. I've never not seen it been, be called the... I've never not seen a flag not thrown double negative. Is that how that works there? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm tracking with you. Yeah, I've I never, understand what you're I've trying to say here. I've never not seen a flag not thrown. As weird as that, <laughs> as weird as that sentence sounded, that is what I'm getting at. That I've never, I've really, that it was just, uh, I got mad about that because that was, look, here. As bad as Oklahoma played, as dominant as Baylor was, the way the fans acted shows you the difference between the programs in a stark, I mean, just 
massive difference between the programs. I mean, that was the fourth time Baylor has ever beaten Oklahoma. So first off. Yeah, I I mean, so that's fair. Yeah, I get wanting to rush the field. Again, like. (laughs) But they they, they said they were going to before the game. I'm fighting mixed emotions here because I'm like, well, you know what? If I'm a Baylor fan. I'm relishing that experience. I'm pissed that Oklahoma is going to the SEC and ditching the other Big 12 institutions. Oh, they chanted SEC. I just, exactly. I just watched my team stick it to them for 60 minutes mm-hmm. nonstop. Yeah, I am feeling all high and mighty, and I'm ready to go stomp on the turf at McLean Stadium and celebrate an upset win. But at the same time, <laughs> you have to wait till the clock hits zeros. To rush the field. Yeah, not four, not five seconds left to go in the game. And and here's the other issue I have is that no matter what Lincoln Riley said to the officials, they weren't hearing it and they weren't having it. I said this to you. I said this to our boss. I've said it to everybody. I thought this game in general, just how it was played out, was a good FU to Oklahoma from the Big 12. And it felt that way, the way things were handled in that in that in that time. Expound a little bit. Well, here's you, when you get the fans storm in the field, making them come back out. Number one, in a game that's already over, like it is over. Why did they? Why couldn't they just run? The fans are on the field. Why couldn't they just run the clock down? So Lincoln Riley gets pissed about that because of the safety of his players. Naturally. As any coach would. Yes. I mean, uh, the other thing is, like, after the game was over, after – and, and the, the field goal, we'll get into the field goal because I thought that was about as effed up as it gets too, by the way. I mean, I, I am not for that crap. I am not – you know you know how you stop that? You beat the mother because that's what you do. You, you, you don't let them beat you. That's number one. But number two – you have some sense of, uh, I don't know, sportsmanship. And, dignity. And di- yeah, dignity. Moral compass. Because guess what? Those three points aren't going to mean shit. No, they will not. And, you know, the Dave Aranda's whole defense was, and you heard it from everybody related to or even remotely connected to the Baylor program, their defense was, well, it could come into play with a tiebreaker. The problem is, if you look at the way the, the Big 12 – standings fall right now there is absolutely no plausible scenario in which that tiebreaker gets used none whatsoever those will those three points will not come into play at all and with regard to that late game sequence here's what i think we're ignoring we focus on the field goal and we're tempted to isolate that as an incident right but we also have to keep in mind, Dave Aranda pulled an Urban Meyer yeah, he called and called timeouts. his timeouts over the course of the last minute and a half of that ball game that's to allow the, everybody that's the to savor the that's win. That's what I'm talking about with the FU. That was an FU by everybody to Oklahoma. Like, you know what? You're leaving us. You screwed our conference up. We're going to make sure in this loss you're going to feel it and you're going to feel it good. If Dave Aranda just kneels the ball for three straight downs – and there happens to be three seconds left on the clock at the end of the game, and he kicks the field goal. Okay, I still think it's ticky-tack, but much less so than the situation that we have on our hands, which is him calling timeouts intentionally to drag the process out 
and then adding insult to injury with that field goal. So, look, at the end of the day, Oklahoma could have averted that whole situation. Just You're win right, the damn by, thing. By, by winning the game. <laughs> yes. But that was... Play better? <laughs> <laughs> that know, was some BS show from up Dave Aranda and the Offensively? <laughs> that was some BS, and Lincoln Riley and everybody associated with the Oklahoma program has a right to be be upset. And let me, let me tell you what. Mm, go ahead. Joe Castiglione... Yeah, was walking off the field, dropping every four-letter word in the dictionary. That man was as incensed as I have ever seen him. And look, being down there at field level and being in the midst of that field rush, I can understand why there was such a concern for the safety of the players. Yes. Because I about got trampled a couple times. I'm just standing there with my camera in the middle of everything, and I about got knocked over by a couple people rushing the field. So... I understand, especially given the fact that <laughs> I'm not wearing any gear with the OU insignia on it, no, and I don't have any sports. exactly. I don't have any affiliation to the opposing uh, to the opposing team, other than I cover them. Right. But you wouldn't know that by looking at me. So, <laughs> for for a player wearing the interlocking OU, no wonder that they're a little bit afraid no wonder the coaches are a little bit afraid for them mm -hmm. given that you're about to have thousands upon thousands of the other team's fans rushing the field and you know what some of them might get a little rowdy and throw an elbow or a shoulder they on did their way so along. lincoln riley i watched it happen i specifically made a point after that because you know he stood at midfield right yes and as that ball goes through the uprights and the clock rolls down to zero he turns around his bodyguard security people, his guy, the highway patrolman, I can't remember his name <clears throat> off the top of my head. And I hate it because isn't Hall like his last name? Is that is that correct? I, I couldn't I tell you. I can't remember. I can't remember. fact of the matter is he's a big ass guy. Like He's a massive guy. But he runs out and the other guy runs out to Lincoln and Dennis Simmons is walking with them and a couple other guys. And as they're walking out, they're like trying to shove people. But those two can't combat the thousands of Baylor Bear fans that were storming the field. And Lincoln Riley is getting freaking decked left and right. He is a bigger man and bigger human being than I am. And I'm going to say this, and excuse me before I say this, folks. So if you have kids in there, I'm a, please turn it down right now. Five, four, three, two, one. I would deck a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> straight up you don't do that what they were doing and they were running into him on purpose no and that's there the was, thing they had every they had a hundred yards to dodge him he's in front of everybody and all of a sudden they surround him what I mean it's only natural right you have to imagine that all the Baylor frat boys well do they have frats at Baylor I don't know all the uh, all the Greek life people at Baylor are going to go back to their Greek life houses, mm -hmm. and this will be this, I, I, this will be this. Lincoln Riley with exactly. my elbow today, bro. <laughs> this will be the story yeah, that they man. tell for the next two or three decades of their life. Is remember when Baylor upset Oklahoma? And I elbowed Lincoln Riley. I elbowed Lincoln Riley. Exactly. I dick punched him. <laughs> I hip checked him. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I tell you what, Brandon. I was I was never one to believe all of the uh, 
I guess I never bought into the all the hype about crowd storming being so dangerous and so alarming. Uh, but being I, down there in the middle of it, I was legitimately alarmed. Oh like, yeah, it was oh, bad. Oh, this is this is not safe. No, I, it, I understand because I'd never I'd never been in the thick of it like that before. I'd witnessed some field storms before, but I'd never been that close to one of them. I think the last one that I was legitimately involved why well, I, I guess I I'm he, I should be hesitant to say involved in. I mean the Oklahoma Texas field storming was a partial one at best there were a, a couple thousand people on the field probably but the last field storming that I can recall being in venue for was Kansas State in 2019 but I was up in the press box for that Kansas State. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh you gets out a 10 point lead and chokes out bad exactly. boy way but I'm standing over next to the OU sidelines. I was I was in the middle of that one. I forgot about that. We had people jump over. Yeah, I, you were down there on the side. You were because we all stood back in that little north end zone, that corner. Were you down there with no, us? No, I was up. I you know what? I wasn't even in the press box. I was up on the photo deck because they ran out of seats in the press box. Uh, so I went down on the floor on the, on the field level at that point, and I'm standing. Hoover, John Hoover, and I are standing next to each other. <laughs> And he and I, I remember we specifically turned to each other and looked and we go, we should probably move, but we aren't going to. You know, John and I probably have about the same personality, you know, like just kind of like we don't give a crap. And these crazy ass K-State fans jumped over and were like trying to bum rush us and get past us. And finally, I had to pick my backpack up because I'd stuck it on the ground. Mm -hmm. There is a photo up guy. I'll never forget this. And this big. 250-pound woman barrels through him while he's trying to get grab his gear up, get off his get off his knees, and she just, I, she was Christian Okoye, and he was <laughs> he was some safety in the 1980s and 90s, <laughs> like it was, it was disgusting to watch. Yeah, no, like I'm I'm standing there as all of these yellow and green clad college students are rushing the field, and I'm like. I'm going to stand my ground, right? I'm not one to cower in the face of something like that. I'm more concerned about the fact that I'm holding a $5,000 camera, and I don't want that to get knocked out of my hands. So I just kind of bodied up the camera and shielded it mm -hmm. and allowed these college students to pass on either side of me. And I caught a shoulder or two inadvertently, yeah. obviously, as is natural when you have that many people jammed into such a crowded hundred yards of turf i mean you got what forty-eight thousand people probably twenty thousand of which were in that lower bowl and maybe half of which were part of the field rush so you, so you had probably ten thousand people on the field yeah at a certain point well you could you you saw it like building as the clock got to about a little under four minutes that second level started getting empty and everybody was moving mm -hmm. down to that first mm -hmm. level with they the, knew uh, what was up yeah i mean this was this was premeditated and, and, and all. So, uh, look, here's the deal. All this doesn't take place if Oklahoma wins. Yeah, all this okay, doesn't you know what? With. Let's just rewind and let's go back to the very beginning. I had a good minute to think about it, Brandon, and that was actually the worst opening possession I've ever witnessed with my two eyes. Worse than the OU Texas game, worse than the OU Kansas. Yes, worse. <laughs> 
It was the exact same play call three times in a row. Yeah, it was bad. And you netted negative nine yards on it. Like it was at that moment that I was like, "Oh boy, I I don't know how this is gonna go." Well, look, when the defense came out, and I agree with you, when but when the defense came out and they did their thing to start the start the game, I was like, "Huh, they might have some firepower to them, and this defense might keep keep this game relatively close and within Oklahoma within striking distance, and and they're gonna they're gonna win the game." Ten seven rolls around. Sure, Caleb Williams playing bad. Yes, he couldn't. And mind you, we uh, Parker Convalage. We talked to a source close to Caleb Williams. He got stepped on twice on purpose, specifically is what the source told us. And his hand did his, and he couldn't grip the ball. And that's when he when he had fumbled the ball and it bounced back up. And he, for some odd reason, every fumble bounces back up to that guy. By the way, is it not the most? Isn't the craziest thing? When he fumbles, it bounces back up into his lap every time. <laughs> but so on that fumble where he's he he just couldn't grip the ball, he couldn't do anything, and that is why. And Riley will never, you know, because he's not going to use an excuse and he's not going to say this or that. Because he was asked, was it was Caleb Williams' hand an issue? He said that was part of it, but that wasn't all of it. His play, his indecisiveness, they just. He just felt he said felt like they were stagnant, so he brought Spencer in. But mind you, the game was 10-7. 10-7 when they pulled Caleb Williams. I look, injured hand or no injured hand. By the way, Casey Thompson just got picked off in the end zone, and it looks like Texas is going to lose to Kansas in football. Wow. In football. So that's a thing that's happening. Um <laughs> Anyway, I can't help but laugh. I'm sorry. Injured hand or no injured hand? You keep him in there. You keep him in there. Because you know what he can do that, that Spencer can't do? He can run the football. Ding, 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 ding. Weird. <laughs> I don't know what Lincoln Riley hoped to accomplish by throwing Spencer Rattler out there in front of that Baylor defense. That went exactly how I imagined it was going to go. Now, now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That throw to Mike Woods was freaking a dime, though. It was a nice throw. If he leads it, him a little bit more, it's a touchdown. But I get that's a tough throw to make that far downfield. So and in your first throw, if, yeah. literally your first snap. Yeah, he did make a nice throw. <laughs> like when that he did that, he dropped back your first snap. Interference. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Which, which, hold on, hold on. So I tweeted out during the game at one point, and I said, "Look, Baylor. It, it was on a Marvin Mims deep pass." And I said, man, that was really – because live it looked like it was a decent play. It didn't look like there was a lot of contact. It didn't look like a whole lot of anything in the first half. And it was Caleb's very first deep ball to Marvin. And he put it on the money. Well, that was pass interference. I can think of three, four different plays off the top of my head that there should have been pass interference calls. Do they change the landscape of the game? Maybe. Should a call change the landscape of the game? No. So, I don't want to hear any OU fan use an excuse. Well, the officials did this and the officials did that. I saw it on Twitter. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, my wife 
my son who never blames officials was saying the same thing and he thought it was just crap how things went. It didn't go particularly well for Oklahoma on the official end. But if you're going to be a good team, those three or four no calls happen every damn game and they don't matter because Oklahoma's not in a position to lose the ball game. So you tend to forget about them as fans. They're not a big deal to you. They're magnified because Oklahoma was in a tight game and they could have cost the game. And potentially maybe they did. But the only reason why they did cost the game is because Oklahoma's playing like crap to begin with. If you're not playing like crap, those small calls or big calls, however you want to look at them, they don't matter. They don't matter. You make up for those by playing well the other 70 snaps that you're playing. By the way. Is that not fair? No, that's entirely fair. And by the way, I know there's a significant contingent of the OU fan base that is pissed with Alex Grinch and the defense. Don't tonight. be. Don't and be. they should not be. No, you shouldn't. They should not be at all. Because the only reason Oklahoma was still in that game in the fourth quarter was because of Alex Grinch and that defense. 100%. Now, the numbers, if you just looked at the box score, you looked at the statistics you would not get the sense that Oklahoma played very well defensively. 100, but, 130 of 140 of those was on like two or three plays. Exactly. <laughs> up until it. up until the last 10 minutes of that ball game. Oh, yeah, they were shut down. They didn't have 300 yards. They had two, they had two takeaways. Yeah. They kept Baylor from picking up chunk plays. Now, obviously, the Bears eventually broke through in that fourth quarter. But for the vast majority of, the, of that football game, Oklahoma's defense was the only reason that game was close. 100%. Because <laughs> the offense could not move the ball out of a paper bag at that point. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I, I Look, it, Brian Osamoa played out of his mind. I will say this. There was one glaring play with Brian Osamoa that, and you probably remember this, it was a fourth down, and he blitzed, or he timed the snap too early. Now, it wasn't offsides, but he timed timed the snap so early that he ran himself out of the play and allowed them to just funnel him out. And when that happens, that and that's why they got the first down because they called the blitz in the exact gap. Alex Grinch, folks, Alex Grinch called the blitz for Osimo in the exact gap that they ran that play. The exact gap. Alex Grinch knew exactly what they were running. Knew exactly what they were running. Called the perfect play, and Osamo ran himself out of the play by timing the blitz. You would, in that situation, you want to be too late because you can then make your way to stop getting that gap. Still, he was far too early, and all they had to do was just funnel him out. They just let him run himself out of the play, and and it cost Oklahoma because it, it it went from being I think it was like a fourth and one two I think fourth and two. And they gained, what, four, five yards on that play? I can't remember. It wasn't significant, but it was enough that it made a difference. Yeah, to kind of bring my original thought full circle, the final quarter of that football game defensively was a train wreck. It was a disaster. Mm -hmm. And it was highlighted by a complete lack of situational awareness that allowed Baylor to convert a third and 12 and a third and 15 down the stretch. In crucial, yeah. 
crucial situations. You can't let that happen. And I don't know how you let that happen. Was that the screen? One of them was on a screenplay. One of them was just on a draw. Yeah. Where Baylor's offensive line got behind Abram Smith and pushed the pile for an additional five yards. Yeah, past the that, you know what that you know what that is. That's dropping your balls. Mm-hmm. That's do you have enough balls, have enough gumption between your legs to push back and fight? And at that point, they didn't. Oklahoma didn't. No. They out toughed Oklahoma in that scenario. Oklahoma got outclassed today in they every did. facet of the game. They did. They were not superior in any capacity. None oh whatsoever. My God. Well, we called that one too early, didn't we? Oh, Kansas gonna Kansas. Texas is now about the tie an extra point away up. from tying the game at forty nine. How did they even get the ball back, play. by the way? Kansas went three and out. Texas had three timeouts. Oh Kansas went three God. and out with three runs up the middle. Oh my god. I didn't watch every play. Anyways, go ahead. Back to OU losing. <sighs> <laughs> if OU loses and Texas doesn't, it's going to be a uh, a tough, tough evening. But but is it? I mean, you are you are watching. Look, Oklahoma ended up winning by double digits against Kansas, and didn't. I mean, at the end of the fourth quarter, it was Oklahoma had it was done. OU had them dead in the rights. This is okay. Yes, but Texas is bad at football, and Oklahoma is not. That's the critical distinction there. After today's game, that's very debatable. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, look, I understand, and I, I will say, I got one of, I got a good shot of one of the plays in which Caleb Williams got his hand stepped on, and I'm not, I'm not one to assign motives to anybody, but, but I will, I, I will say, <laughs> I will say to the casual observer. Throw that caveat in there. It <laughs> go ahead and drop it, it man, appeared, and just tell what you look. It tell appeared how you really feel. to be somewhat intentional. You'd think? No way, dude, bro, bro. And I hate. Look, you're talking to two of the people that never like say negative things about programs or anything. But how on par is that for Baylor? Sometimes, come on. I mean, things that we've seen, like this is talk. We're talking about the same program that had uh, what was the tall dude that was like six nine and looked like a Greek god. Was our defensive end number two or number eight? I could not tell you. Is this recent? Back in 2015. Oh, 2016. 2015? 2014, 2015, 2016. And he hit Trevor Knight on purpose in basically. Like, not just hit him, his elbow into the ground and, and hurt his neck to where he was out for a significant period in 2014. Up until the... Do you not remember that? Mm, no, I really don't. Like I like I said last podcast, I blocked most of 2014 out. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, so anyways, the same program. The same program that took a cheap shot at uh, Baker. The same program. I mean, look... And we're not even going to get into the Hammond project or anything like that. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I know what you're talking Look, about. Look, point being is that motive or not, and we're talking about the same program that called timeouts and kicked field goals today just for three points. Yeah, I will say Dave Aranda did not do much to uh, so, enhance his public 
appeal. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you don't want to say motive, but when it happens twice in one game, twice in one game, is there not motive at that point? How often do quarterbacks get their hands Man, stepped on? I I don't know. I don't know about all this. I feel it, I I almost feel kind of like a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, no, and maybe it, <laughs> we are. We're conspiracy. Look, look. There may not be motive to it, but it's a hell of a coincidence that they stepped on his hand. Yeah, again, I'm not going to say twice. it was. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to sit here and pound the table and say it was definitely intentional, but. It didn't cost OU the game, by the no, way. No, absolutely not. So absolutely. I want everybody to go ahead and throw that excuse out. That didn't no, happen. There, there are zero excuses for what happened. Today. I can tell you that people in the OU program and sources close to the Williams, they feel like it was pretty intentional. Here's the thing, Brandon. So Oklahoma had everything to play for today. They were coming off a bye. They were juiced for their biggest game of the season. They felt like they'd been disrespected by the college football playoff committee. They had all the ingredients for what should have been a statement performance. And it was a statement performance. That, that, just a very ignominious one. No, no, it was fart noise performance is what it was. You did, you know, if you're doing a text, you say fart noises. Asterisk, asterisk, <laughs> fart noises, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> That's what it was. It was that bad. I'm serious. Like, it was awful. And and I I say that in the most professional way as you can possibly say fart noises, <laughs> which is probably not very professional. Um, but look, I it just felt like offensively there was a mental gap there, like just a big mental gap, like they're just. And uh, let me ask you this: Like, what did they? What did what did Kennedy Brooks average per run today? Can we, I'm gonna look that it up. It was right under there. four yards per carry. I know that much. I think I want to say he rushed 13 times for 51 yards. 13, 51, 3.9. So basically four yards a carry. Bro, he's averaging every three plays as a first down. Why in the crap do you not just give him the ball more? Oh, you abandoned the run. They did. They abandoned. He did. Lincoln Riley abandoned the run. And look, it worked. It worked against Tech. It worked great against Tech. Yeah, he's Baylor's done that too. not Tech. I forgot that he did that against Texas Tech too. Oh my gosh, he's got to get back to the run. When they're good, when they're good, they it, run the ball. And it's not a secret no. either. It's not a secret that Oklahoma's best offense is played when they are leaning more heavily towards the run than the pass. I mean, and now they're got, they've got Iowa State, who is another team that's kind of had Lincoln Riley's number as far as points, as far as yards, as far as being able to control and not allow the big play with Oklahoma. You better have a ground game. You better have a ground game. They've got some, in my opinion, and I know this is just probably wild and stupid at this point in the season. You've got to start getting Eric Gray more touches, and you've got to get Marcus Major some touches and see what they can do. I'm not saying Kennedy Brooks isn't great. I'm not saying he's good, not good. But I don't know that he is that guy that's going to be able to break the game. They got it. They don't have a guy that can break it wide open for him. No, they really don't. 
It's got to it, – what they do, they do. They just don't run them. You're talking about Eric Gray. Eric Gray and Mar- Marcus Major are fast. Both of them are fast. Both of them are four, 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 five guys. Why would you not use those guys? I will say I've been surprised lately with the lack of usage that Eric Gray has gotten uh, in the run game. And when he touched the ball the day, he was pretty damn good. By the way, Kansas and Texas are now headed to overtime at 49 apiece, and I no longer have any faith that Kansas wins this game. So <laughs> I don't either. It, it was fun while it lasted. I mean, they were up 21 points at one point. Yeah, they were. It's sad. I mean, Kansas going to Kansas. I mean, I feel bad for the program. They give it, they give it their all, and they find a way just to blow it. And the weird part is, like, that stadium in Austin is half-filled. If you're a recruit... You're not impressed with what you've seen tonight. Yeah, from the fans or the team at all. I mean, you've got to be thinking going, I mean, is Sark going to make it past two years? Because that's something, if, if they lose this ball game, that's legitimately something you can use on the 2021, 2022 class. I don't know that he's going to make it past the 2022 season. By the way... Speaking of Iowa State, they did oh Oklahoma no favors today yeah. by going to Lubbock and losing. So, so you know what you're looking. We talked about this. Let, let's go. You want to go through those scenarios that we talked oh, about today? Oh, okay, okay. Let's hit the scenarios. So, so look. Let me preface this by saying, do I think Oklahoma makes the playoffs at this juncture in the season? No. Are they out of the playoff conversation? No. You can be both. You can be both. And you need to hear us out because Parker and I drove back from Waco to this hotel today literally debating about this almost the entire trip. We had an extensive I mean, discourse about the matter. Through the mathematics, through... The scenarios, the what-ifs, the this, the that, and the others to come up with what we're about to talk about now. Here's what it comes down to, folks. Oklahoma no longer controls their own destiny. They don't. <laughs> they they don't. It, I mean, that's, that, that essentially kind of... kind of. However... I thought we decided that they did as long as they won out. No, I don't think they do. Because we went through, like, the Big Ten's going to eliminate themselves outside of as long as Ohio State. Ever, all the other guys are going to eliminate themselves. But again, okay, what? how do we define control your own destiny? Because okay, okay, well, the, then now we're now we're getting to where, okay. okay yes, exactly, now, okay. because if you need any external help outside okay, of winning out, you do not control your own destiny. I got you. So, Oklahoma no longer controls their own destiny. They need help. They need However, help, but the help has to... Is, Inevitably going to happen. The help because, is very plausible. Yeah, because they're going to eliminate each other. <laughs> they they play each other. There's no way they don't eliminate each other. So here's what I think you're looking at, and here's why I think Oklahoma, if they can win their final three games, will be in very good shape to sneak into the college football playoff. By the way, I just want to bring up the fact that it seems like we have the same conversation every year, right? Yeah, yeah, and it always works out. O- no yeah, o- Oklahoma's always written off. After mm-hmm. one loss, mm-hmm. and then eventually, and it's all about always about this. Well, November. It's usually yeah, it's the week not, before. It, it's usually the week before November. It's usually about. It's usually sometime in October. Halloween, We're having the conversation like November the week before Halloween. Time. Yeah, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, Oklahoma's in the exact same position they were 
in 2017, 2018, and 2019. They are a team that will have very strong odds to make the college football playoff if they win out, but they need help to get there. And the reason, going back to the fact that they have very strong odds if they win out, the reason <laughs> that I think they have very strong odds is because I think a lot of teams in front of them are destined to lose mm. at some point. Obviously, you're only getting one team out of the Big Ten in the playoff conversation when all is said and done. So Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, pick your poison. You're only getting one. Now, for my money, I think at this point, Ohio State runs the table, wins the Big Ten, and gets in the playoff probably is the number two seed. That's just the way things are looking right now. That team is playing yes. their best football. They're firing on all cylinders. And Lord knows Jim Harbaugh cannot beat them. I don't think Michigan State is capable of beating them either at this point. You're talking about a Big Ten championship game that's probably going to be played against either Wisconsin or Iowa. And it's hard not to take Ohio State to come out of that conference. So you can safely lock in the champion of the SEC and the champion of the Big Ten, in my eyes. From there, it gets really dicey. Because obviously the ACC does not have a prayer in this race. Their only hope for a one-loss conference champion is Wake Forest, whose resume might not even put them in the top eight, let alone the top four at that point if they were to win the conference. Obviously, Oregon leads the Pac-12, is in the best position to represent, really the only position to represent that conference in the college football playoff. Thing is, I don't trust Oregon to win the rest of their games. I just don't. It's very possible that they could, and if they did, I think they're probably in the playoff. But I have a hard time convincing myself that it's going to happen simply because we see the Pac-12 take itself down every single year. It will eat itself alive. And let me... I don't know that I'm sold on Oregon. Now, here's what I think what we did agree was that I we thought that inevitably if Oregon did win out with that one loss because they beat Ohio State, yeah, it would be it's going to be really hard for them to you know take or keep Oregon out of the playoffs. But the reason why it's hard for them to keep them out of the playoffs is, and this is on the assumption that Oklahoma State and or OU went out right now. Because both of those teams, OU and Oklahoma State, have viable chances at the playoffs right now. Yes, Not the do. Big 12. I like, and that's the that's the reality I mean, is that Oklahoma State it is very much as alive in the college football playoff races. Oh my god! As the I, did you see what they did to TCU? 63-17. And I'm telling you, that they're going to jump up significantly because of that. But like I was saying with about Oregon, so Oregon is interesting because the Pac-12 has been left out so often. In recent memory, because they haven't had a one-loss champion since that, yeah, what, yes. 2015, 2016. But even even when they did, they they've been kind of left out, and so the you could see them having some sort of look. Well, you know, the Big 12's made it in with one loss champion. They've they've 
you know, this, that, or the other. But if Oklahoma, so let, let's throw this scenario out here, okay? K-State is 7-3 and three right now. And not a lot of people know that. Like, you, if you, I told Parker that, and he had to go check. He was like, wait, what? K-State's, no, it's legit. K-State's 7-3. They are 7-3. and three. Oklahoma won at K-State. There is a good chance that that 7-3 and three team is going to be ranked in the top 25. And if they beat Baylor at home this weekend, because it's in it's in Manhattan, if I remember correctly. It is. <laughs> They're going to be like a top 15 team, most likely. At, a state man at eight and three, they could go nine and three, end up being like you know 12, 13, 14 at the end of the rankings, maybe 15 at highest. Baylor ends up going nine and three, they're going to be a top between 10 and 20. Obviously, that's an Oklahoma loss, but that's that's a quality loss on the road to a top 20 team. That's not a bad loss. Then you have Oklahoma State, who is at 10 right now, they'll be top eight. They're going to be top eight for sure, maybe top six or seven. If they beat – who do they have this week? It's Texas Tech. They beat Texas Tech at Tech, right? Yes. They go to Lubbock. If they beat Texas Tech in Lubbock, I would not be shocked to see them at four going into – Obviously, it depends on what happens with everybody else. But it wouldn't shock me because they have some quality wins, number one. You're talking about they would have beaten K-State. They would have beaten um, Baylor. That's two top 20 wins. And you look at the rest of their schedule, it's not bad. It's not bad. They have a chance to be five, six, maybe four at most going into the Bedlam game. But if Oklahoma goes to Iowa State and they win. Wow. If Oklahoma goes to Iowa State and they win. We're keeping one eye on this Kansas-Texas game. Sorry. Kansas is about to attempt a two-point conversion for the win in overtime. If they, they, they win, they beat Iowa State, and they go up and they beat Oklahoma State in Bedlam, Oklahoma is now 11-1 going into the Big 12 title. They will be playing a top-10 Oklahoma State team again in Dallas. If they win that, that's two back-to-back top-10 wins. They will have a quality loss in Baylor, and they will have a quality win in K-State, a 9-3 K-State, hypothetically. Even if K-State goes 8-4, it is still a quality win on the road. So you're looking at, and then you got a potential for Iowa State to go seven and five. Texas Tech has six wins now. They're six and four. Red Raiders are bowl eligible for the first like, time since twenty. Literally, Oklahoma has these wins that are starting to look and add up as not so bad of a schedule. As the season goes on, their schedule keeps getting better and better because the teams that they played are getting better and better as far as their, their record goes. Now, I know that's pretty redundant and whatever, but it's helping Oklahoma. Yeah, and look, to be clear here, we're not trying to be all, this no, is rainbows no, and no, butterflies no, here, because no, it's no. not. Oklahoma no. has some things to no, fix. No, they have to win. And I look, and as we were about to say, I don't know that they do. I if I if, And I told you this, Parker can vouch, 
I said, if you ask me right now, put a gun to my head, if Oklahoma is going to win the rest of their games, I said what? No. Exactly. And <laughs> it's hard to disagree with so, that take right now, Brandon. I mean, I, I it, look, but the scenario is still out there. Whether I believe they're going to win or not, it doesn't matter. The scenario is still in the scenario, and it is what it is. Oh, my gosh. Oh no. They got away from oh the no. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They've done it. Oh, They've done my it. God. They've done it. Oh, my rock chalk Jayhawk. Can These mics you? are going to be so overmodulated in the postgame podcast. I'm sorry. And I care not at all. I'm sorry. What is he doing? Why is he getting mad at everybody for cheering? They haven't beat a team on the road in years. You want him to act like he's done it before. They haven't. No coach has done that Kansas in over a decade. has beaten Texas in football. Ladies and gentlemen, there is history unfolding before our very eyes. Do Kansas I, has beaten a road a road opponent in the Power Five for the first time since, wait for it, October 2008. That was the last time they beat a Power Five team on the road. What a throw by Jalen Daniels to get this two-point conversion. Oh, my God. Praises is... go up, blessings <laughs> come down. All right, anyways, back to what we were talking about. Guess who's not going to be in the playoff conversation? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Texas fans. If you're this listening. is Texas's first five-game losing streak, ladies and gentlemen, since 1956. And per our good friend Chris Hummer, who's a national writer for 247 Sports, Steve Sarkeesian is the first coach in program history to start his career four and six. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I shouldn't laugh. But, I mean... You should go look at my tweet, by the way. Oh, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Anyways. Lance Leipold. Leipold. Well Whatever your name Leopold. is. Leopold. However way, you say it. We talked about Texas Tech being 6-4, and four, and we totally glossed over the fact that their, tick, kick, their, ticker, their kicker kicked the 62-yard walk, walk-off field goal to win the game. 62 yards! Freaking Tucker out there. <laughs> I mean, it was a bomb too. That it was. thing was good from sixty-five at least. Oh, at le- dude, that thing was good. If from you told me Texas plus. Tech had a kicker capable of making that kick to win a football game, I'd have said no way. <laughs> oh, it is a great day for college football, dude. Sure, Oklahoma lost, but Sooner fans are rejoicing tonight because Kansas beat Texas in football. Again, you want to know twenty sixteen or twenty twenty one? You want to know what I love about Chris Hummer? Is he graduated from Texas? If I remember correctly, yes, he did. And that dude is over there just locking down on Texas right now. 
in the most journalistic way you possibly can, man. That is, he's 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 the Chris Hummer's the goods. Chris Hummer is the goods for two four seven. I mean that the, to do that when your alma mater just got embarrassed. Journalists are not. Like we talk about this all the time, how hard it is to. You have feelings, regardless of it. Like there's feelings involved in what you're doing. You can separate yourself from them. We do it every weekend. But at the end of the day, we still have feelings towards what happened. We just can't, you know, I don't know. We can't act out on him. And he does a really good job. Like, it's got to be hard for to be a Texas alum and watching him, watching his, you know, squad do what they're doing. This is just, I mean, oh, wow. Anywho, so as we were talking about, we just totally got sidetracked because this was like. It was worth it. It was totally worth it. Well, you know, we don't apologize for that. If you have an issue with it, fast forward. Uh, but thank you for listening to the podcast. We love you guys. Thank you for OU Insider and all your contributions. Uh, <laughs> hey, so what is what what was the biggest glaring thing to you in today's OU Baylor game outside of just the pure dominance of Baylor? What stood out the most to you, and maybe one of the key reasons why Baylor did what they did? Man, it's hard not to make the argument that Dave Aranda has Lincoln Riley's number. And we talked about this on our drive back, Brandon. What Dave Aranda has done against Lincoln Riley offenses in the three opportunities that he's had to go up against Lincoln Riley is pretty freaking remarkable because the dude has done as good a job of containing Riley's explosive offenses as anybody. And he's done it three times over now. And look, we were all under the impression after Chandler Morris ripped Baylor a new one last week that Caleb Williams was going to raise the roof. He was going to do what Chandler Morris did to the nth degree. And lo and behold, it did not happen because, man, Dave Aranda, I guess, just lives rent-free in Lincoln Riley's head. He has to. It almost feels like he... Parker. It almost feels like he is he knows what he's going to call before he calls it sometimes. And it's crazy. And, uh, you know, but I felt like Alex Grinch at some, sometimes today knew what Baylor was going to do. Now, did his players execute? I think that's the difference between Aranda and Grinch right now is Grinch is a great play caller. He does. He calls some plays, puts players in position. I mean, how many times – did Oklahoma have the Baylor running back and or quarterback dead to rights in the backfield and they just Well that's the thing is that they come back the other direction those, and, and those three third yards. or those two third and long plays, the third and twelve yeah. and the third and fifteen. They had whoever I think it was Abram Smith both times, they had him dead to rights, mm-hmm. short of the line to gain both times and let him get away. Tackling has been a problem. 
I saw mean, Delarian Turner yell, miss some tackles today. That That's how you know tackling is a problem. Right. When the man who never, never misses a tackle misses multiple tackles in the open field. When the best tackler you have can't be relied upon to bring guys down. Oh, man, it's <laughs> it's ugly right now for the Sooners. It is ugly. And again, it was so like I know I I know there were dissenters. I know there were those who didn't believe in this team. I don't think anybody expected Oklahoma to come out to McLean Stadium and play like this. This was an alarmingly poor performance all mm-hmm. around. And they have things to fix. And guess what? <laughs> they don't have a bye week to fix them. They had a bye week to get their heads straight for this tough November stretch. And whatever they did over the bye week, it certainly didn't manifest on the football field. So, <laughs> to quote Jalen Hurts, you drop you a deuce. You don't stand there and stare at it. You flush it and move on. So... That's what yeah. the Sooners are going to have to do here. Yeah, look. I I don't know, man. Like if if I was going to pick the one thing that I thought was the biggest issue, and there was a plethora of them. I mean, from the drop passes to the not tackling as we were talking about to just the lack of playmaking on the the even the play calling if you will on offense. I mean, there's so many things that we can touch on right now, but it just it's not really worth it like getting all up in arms over it because guess what? They've been the issue the whole freaking season, man. Like it hasn't changed. Has anybody noticed this is the worst offensive output season in Lincoln Riley's history? They were better during the shit COVID season where they played 10 games and they didn't even get a fall or a spring or they got a fall, but so many dudes were missing with contract tracing so, so and all this. So that's the question, right? What's the issue? I don't know. Because it's not lack of talent. No, I think it's a mental, it's a mental thing. I thought that was something very interesting that Steve Sarkeesian said it. And the ESPN announcers were quoting him earlier today, and they said, at this point, it's not physical, it's mental. And I think this team lacks mental toughness at times. I really do. And most specifically on the offensive line, which I never thought I would say about somebody coached by Bill Beanbow, and it's not his fault. You can lead the horse to the water, you can't make him drink it. You can put them through all the mental toughness things that you want to. You can put them through the most rigorous practices that you want to. If the player doesn't want to be mentally tough, they're not going to be mentally tough. The worst part about this is that they don't know that they have, they don't feel like they have anybody better behind them. That's scary, actually. As well as they've, as well as they've been recruiting. That's scary. What's your take on the offensive lines play? Give me, give me your unfiltered people, thoughts. People, people, people don't know because 
That was, an, that was a thumbs down with a fart noise. Give me your unfiltered thoughts on the <laughs> offensive lines play because I'm watching I'm watching the game through a camera lens, right? So offensive line play is one of those things that I defer to someone like you. Go watch has, it through the camera lens again without you like literally like you're trying to focus and follow the ball. Just watch it. Dude. Dude, it's brutal sometimes. And maybe, I don't know, maybe and maybe I'm oversimplifying some things here. They have a freshman at center that is just learning how to do a lot of things. You know the difference between Andrew Rame and Creed Humphrey when they were freshmen? You know the difference? What's the difference? We say lack of talent. Creed was surrounded by some damn talent, bro. Yes, I'm he talking, was. Like, they made up for a lot of things. And I, I, I think one of the crazy things that I heard Gay Bikert say one time, and and I'm not, a, I'm by no means an offensive line expert, so I would probably defer to him talking about offensive line, and he's trashed the offensive line this year, so <laughs> that's kind of it, it helps my take when I think that they're not playing very well. I tried to defend them some and felt like, oh well, you know, Bill Beatonbow's players get better as the season goes along because notoriously that's what's happened between from 2013 on as the season went on his offensive lines got better and better and better as the season went on every year they showed promise this is the first time in nine years eight years whatever it is that i've i've watched a bill beatenbow coached team and i'm like these players aren't getting better they're not. No, they're not. And, and, and that's and alarming. It's not. It, yeah, it's very alarming. And it's in the again. What's more alarming is that I don't think he feels like he has anybody better behind those guys. And I think that's probably more frustrating. I I would be shocked, utterly shocked, if they didn't hit the transfer portal pretty hard this this off season for some guys. Shocked. And it's not that I don't think they don't feel the freshmen and sophomores are going to be players. I just don't think they feel like they're there yet. They're there yet. And and that's not – and you want to know what? That's kind of on par for Bill Beatonbow because he doesn't start a lot of guys until they're juniors and seniors. If you go look at his history of players. Now, you have outliers like Drew Samia, Orlando Brown, Creed Humphrey, and Jerame, and even the necessity guys of Marquise Hayes and Tyrese Robinson, Right. Like, they were necessities, right? But a lot of times, he goes and he'll get, like, a transfer portal guy and plug him in. How many times has he done that? What, three or four times already? He's plugged in, like, senior lad and transfer portal guys in places that he had young guys at that he didn't feel they were ready. And I think he's going to do that this this coming season. The good news is, is that he, if Tyrese Robinson wanted to come back, he could come back. I don't know that he's going to. He needs to. He does. Everyone I, I needs to. I actually wouldn't be shocked if Marquise – I wouldn't be shocked if all those guys return next year. I would not be shocked. Just because they haven't played really great this year. No, and see how that worked out for Adrian Ely. Yeah, I don't know that you want to do that. Like, Adrian Ely is a, is a prime example of what not to do. He and he, he living actually, up that practice squad life. He actually probably would have made such a big difference on this offensive line. Yeah, I tell you what, he would have. I mean, 
Yeah, that I mean that would that would have been huge because look, you got Wanye more. So like, how often do you see Wanye out there? Did you notice him very much today? Uh, I see. That's one of those things. I personnel along the offensive line. I'm just at such a bad angle to take and stock of I don't, all that. I don't so. like a lot of times. I don't pay attention because I feel like he plays the same guys almost the whole game. Am I wrong on that? That's what it seems like. It does seem like it. I'm, and and I, I was bad about it today. Normally, I'll like write down, like, you know, one year Morris came in and played two series or whatever or played five plays here or something like that. Like, I'll notice that. But today, I didn't notice it. I, I didn't notice anybody. And, and I'd have to go back and watch, I guess is what I'm saying. I was more looking at defensive personnel and how they were rotating their linebackers with Deshaun Whiteout. And... I got to tell you, Danny Stutzman played a hell of a game. He was really good today. His dad played at Baylor, by the way, for those people that don't know that. Mm, old Papa Steve won the Stutzman Bowl this time around, at least. Yeah, I don't think he was going for Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to text him and ask him that one. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. I, I I'm... I'm worried about the offensive line. I think that's I think that's that's fair. That's where I think not what I think, where I thought pulling Caleb Williams out was a bad idea in general. I just didn't think it made sense when he did it and I said so. It didn't make sense. Injured hand or no injured hand, Caleb Williams gave you the best chance to win that. Yeah, game. I just I feel like he's handling Spencer Rattler with kid gloves and he needs to not. No, he needs to not because the other thing too is now he's created – I and I hate to use the word circus, but you know he's going to be asked that question every single week for the remainder of the year is – Are you going to play Spencer Rattler this week? Exactly. Yeah. Some variation of, oh, how's uh, how's Spencer practicing and uh, are you planning on utilizing him this week like you did in the Baylor game? What circumstance would it take for you to reinsert Spencer Rattler? Who's your starting quarterback this weekend? It's going to become a circus. It is. It is. Like Here's the thing. Lincoln Riley made the right decision by pulling Spencer Rattler out for Caleb Williams initially. Caleb Williams very quickly proved that that was the right decision. Lincoln Riley made his bed, and he has to lay in it. It's not a bad lay, bed to lay. Oh, I know that sounds that sounded super bad when I said that. It's not a bad bed to lay. And like the way I look at it, that was so he, okay. Let me rephrase what I just rewind what I just said. Theoretically, it's not a bad bed to lay in. I mean, if, I mean, when I said that, never mind. You got what I said. It sounded bad when it came out of my mouth. Theoretically, it's not a bad bed to lay in. Caleb Williams is one of the best players in college football. Did he play like it today? No. But for three-fourths of the game, he was dealing with a swollen hand and couldn't grip the ball. They iced it. They wrapped it up. On that final drive, he could grip it just fine. But that's because he had time to treat it for a couple hours. And at that point, I don't know, man. Like it, go ahead, finish your finish your thought. But I just, I just, I just think that that's. 
I'm not saying that move cost OU the game. I'm saying it definitely didn't help. No, it did not. And, again, putting Spencer Rattler in against that Baylor defense, just at face value, made very little sense to me because I don't know what you were expecting Rattler to do against that defense that Caleb Williams couldn't do. And, again, I go back to the fact that, look, you make your bed with Caleb Williams, you got to lay in it. And Lincoln Riley made the decision to change quarterbacks. It was very clear and very immediately clear that Caleb Williams was the better option. Mm -hmm. And at that point, once you make the switch, you got to ride it out. You have to. Because otherwise, like I said, it becomes a circus. And that's what it's going to become. That's what we're very quickly trending in the direction of it becoming based on what transpired today in Waco. Yeah. No, I, I look. At the same time, he needs to help Caleb. Running the ball. Putting the offensive line in position. Because I think this offensive line, like most offensive lines, the more you let them be physical to start and set the tone, the better they will play overall throughout the game. So if you allow them to be physical up front and really start to dominate the line, which I think he that was his intention on that first series. If you notice, he went out there, it was three bad runs. Things didn't go well or as planned. And it spooked him. And so we got away from it. Instead of riding it out, being patient as a play caller that he used to be. The the Lincoln Riley that we know wouldn't have been spooked. He would have went, going to keep riding my offensive line. Eventually, they're going to start making holes. And guess what? There was a certain point of this this ball game. They were making holes for Brooks. They were making holes for Williams on those quarterback counters and stuff that he does. The Williams quarterback counter is a little different than – it's weird. Like, you know how they ran Jalen Hurts and, and Kyler Murray? Yes. Have you noticed how – more posy and kind of jerky that it is with Caleb. Yeah. Like it's less decisive. And I don't know if that's with age. It probably is age more than anything else. Could just also be style. Caleb might like to take a second and get an idea of which hole he wants to hit before he hits it. More so I than I mean, you can do that at this age. Well, I mean, think about it though. Kyler was fast enough that he could pick a direction and make anybody miss. That's fair. And Jalen Hurts was big enough Break tackles left and he right. Could, yeah, he could bowl somebody over. Caleb, you know, he has size and he has speed, but he doesn't have Kyler Murray's speed and he doesn't have Jalen Hurts' size. So, look, Kennedy Brooks is he not as big as is he not as big as Jalen? I feel I like guess, he is. I guess he might. He doesn't seem like it though. He may be like 10, 5, 10 pounds smaller. I mean, but that I mean at at by the time he's done with his career at Oklahoma, he will be as big as Jalen. You would think. Yes. And at that point, you got to ride that dude. And, I mean, I was talking to a source, obviously, close to Caleb, and they 100% felt that he's got to be more decisive in what he does. And it's just one of those deals where he's not playing the way he's 
used to playing or how he normally plays, and that's got to be fixed. That's that's you know the only person that can fix that is Caleb, and I think he's going to. I do, and there's a lot of confidence. I mean, I'll, I'll give you all a straight up answer. The guys, the, the the they said Williams is pissed right now, pissed at himself, pissed about the loss. And from people I've talked to that know him well enough that say, look, when he's pissed off, he comes out guns blazing. That after the, I mean, all you gotta do is look at the Kansas game. What happened after that game? He lit the world on fire the next game. He's got to stay pissed. And again, that's a freshman thing. You know, like he's learning. People forget that was that was start four for that kid. Start four. Like we're sitting here talking like, well, he, he needs to do this and that. That's game four of his college career. What he's done leading up to this point and even in that ball game, for it to only be 10-7 with everything that's happened – he could have made so many more freshman mistakes in that that cost Oklahoma, and he didn't. A lot of freshmen would have. A lot of freshmen would have. They would have crumbled under he, I that. tell you what, he did make one pretty egregious mistake. Oh, my God. He tried yeah. to throw that ball away and didn't get it to oh, the yeah, yeah, sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was bad, 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 bad. Mm, he threw it off good. one foot, backing up, instead of setting his feet and just letting it rip. But, you know, that, that again, in that, and I think the, the play with Hazelwood – I would say that's a bad freshman mistake as well because in high school, he probably completes that pass. Because as strong as his arm is, he gets it between the defenders. The speed is different in college. So people need to understand, like four games in, well, he should be used to the speed by now, Brandon. What? It takes freshmen like a year usually, like 12, 13 games before they start to really, really get comfortable with the speed. And then the same thing goes for a rookie in the NFL. It sometimes takes them two years to get used to the speed. It is different. It is so different. The quarterback position is different. What I will tell you all is, is that I thought he got fixated on plays, um, on players a little too much today. Like one guy, there was a couple times Hazelwood's wide open across the middle. Wide open. I mean, he could have he could have pitched a tent and set up a campfire. Literally, but he wasn't hit because I I I, I don't know the excuse for that. Like I'm not there. There's no excuse. You got to be able to find it. You've got to be able to see that's coming open. Because in those plays, he had all day to throw. All day, the ones I'm talking about. So it, it, he's got to be more decisive. But that's going to come with experience, in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, I played a little quarterback, not at that level. But experience does help. <laughs> it helps a lot. You see things a lot quicker when you're back there because things are flying at you a lot. And the Power 5 level, the Power 5 speed, it's not as easy as people think it is. But he does. He's got to get better. And I think he will. I think he will. I think by the end of the season, you're going to see more of the Texas Tech play than you are of the Baylor play. 
That's my that's my prediction. Now, people are going to go, well, you said they're not going to win the next three games, all three games. No, I said I don't think they win the next three games. That doesn't mean Caleb Williams can't play well. They could be the defense playing bad. The defense hasn't been consistent all year. Last two games they played pretty well. They played pretty well in the beginning of the season when they were Speaking fully Speaking of which, you know who was pretty nice today? Woody Washington. He was. He was really good. Yeah, <laughs> Imagine <he was>. that. <laughs> you get your good. best cornerback. Yeah. You want to know who had struggled a little bit today? Key Lawrence. Key Lawrence did struggle. But it's his second game at corner since he played at Tennessee. He hadn't played. He hadn't been working at corner all and year. And he did kind of set the standard impossibly high against Texas <laughs> yeah, Tech. Yeah, the so game against Texas there was, Tech. There was really nowhere to go but down. Yeah, there. that game against Texas Tech, he was absurd. <laughs> Outside of intercepting the pass, there wasn't – I hadn't seen a defensive back play like that at Oklahoma in over a decade. <laughs> Probably – you know what? That's, that's wrong. Jordan Thomas against Tennessee in 2014. Again, 2014 reference, I know. Yeah, 2015, Jordan Thomas was pretty good, too. Pretty good. The guy knew how to make plays. He just did. Zach, Zach Sanchez was pretty good at defensive back, too, at corner. They were pretty two pretty good corners. It's been a while since they've had guys like that. Been a while. You know what the cool thing about those guys were? They were tall. Sanchez was 5'11", 6 foot. Jordan Thomas was six foot six one, long, lanky, fast, fast guys. Matter of fact, Jordan Thomas's body, the way he looks, his frame. DJ Graham reminds me a lot of him as far as frame wise. Play wise, I, I don't know that I can say that, but frame wise, yeah. I'm trying to think who else on the defense. Brian Osamo was everywhere. He was really good. He had a really really good game. He did. Nick Isaiah, Benito, Tom, Isaiah Thomas had a really good game. Nick Benito had an outstanding game. Yeah, he had a good game. Stutzman had a good game. Stutzman did make some plays. I mean, all in all, Perry and Winfrey had a pretty good. Perry and Winfrey was causing some problems. You know who? You, 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 quietly, this guy had a good game. Quietly, who do you think I'm thinking about? Quietly, Patrick Fields. No, well, yeah, he he was decent. Yeah. He did make a couple. Of he made nice a couple plays. big. He made a big stop on a third down. But this guy quietly had some tackles for losses. Um, where is he at? As a matter of fact, he had two tackles for losses. It was his only two tackles, but they came in big moments. Number one, number two. Oh, oh, oh! He Isaiah caused Bohan. Coe? No, he caused Bohannon to run around quite a bit today with his penetration. Not Isaiah. Co- I, th- I could have sworn Isaiah Coe was in a couple of, of those. Isaiah Coe had a he had one tackle. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Who are you? Who are you referring to? Arguably, arguably Oklahoma's best overall defensive lineman. Arguably, when he's healthy, uh, when he's yep. healthy. Jalen Redmond. Yes. There you go. Him and Isaiah Thomas are. The best two defensive linemen. I don't think it's a question. Well, that, is that fair? It depends on how you classify Nick Benito. 
Yeah, but he's an edge rusher. Like, I, look, he drops back in coverage and stuff like that. So I try not to. If I if I was gonna say it now, if if I was just gonna say front four, no, Benito's your best player. <laughs> I don't think he's your best player. I'd go. I would go Benito, Isaiah Thomas, two A, Redmond, two B, because I think Isaiah is better overall than him right now because he's been healthy. And he's got more, you know, notches on his belt. He's long, uh, athletic, and Isaiah causes some problems. But Redmond was, I mean, he, there was that run play. I guess it was like a, I want to say it was a third down. And, I mean, he threw the dude back about six yards. It's a pretty big play. It was significant at the moment. So, I, I, I don't. I thought Redmond played pretty well. I thought Stutzman played well. I obviously thought Isaiah Thomas played well, Brian Osamoa. I thought Dave Uwegbu played pretty good. I thought he was everywhere, too. He was everywhere. Overall, I'd have to say defensively, it's really hard to find, like, a player that didn't do, like, okay. Yeah, and that's the thing. From an individual standpoint... The Sooners had a lot of really solid performances. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Jeremiah Hall said in postgame. He said, look, on any given play, it was always one or two guys. Never the same guys, mm-hmm. but on it seemingly on every single play on either side of the ball for Oklahoma, there was always one or two guys that didn't do their job or they mm-hmm. got beat. And when you're playing nine or ten man football as opposed to eleven man football, yeah. that's a difference that a team like Baylor is going to exploit. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, nuts on the table right now. Oh boy! Does Oklahoma win out? I feel sorry for Iowa State next week. I will say that. Yeah, Iowa State coming off that loss in Lubbock. Yeah, they're going to be down. Gets to play Oklahoma off a loss. Yeah, man, that's gonna that's that could get ugly. Mm-hmm. Of course, I say that now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we totally. thought the same thing about Baylor after losing very to TCU. True, very true. So very true. I don't want to get too far ahead of it, myself. Stoops led Stoops led team when they were pissed. I mean, they were pissed when it's Bob's teams. I'm not saying Lincoln's not because I think I think the, his demeanor in the press conference today. Did you see any of it? No, I was on the players. Oh my god, he was mad. He was hot. Well, I imagine so. <laughs> no, but I think this. I don't know that Oklahoma. I've not, I don't know that I've seen Riley like this. Just when you combat the play of the team, the overall team play with the officiating and how things ended up at the end of the game. He was livid. Livid. They got it. Oh, you just played bad today. There's no excuse. No excuse. But do they win out? I find it hard to believe that if they play any semblance of, with any semblance of similarity to the way they played today. Oh, that they're going to beat Oklahoma State twice. They're going to need to play their best football of the year to yep. beat Oklahoma State twice. <clears throat> to beat Oklahoma State once. But 
I'm very much of the opinion that I got to see a team, like especially when you consider that Oklahoma owns the Big 12 and has for the last six seasons, going on seven. I got to see them lose the Big 12. I got to see that slip out of their grasp before I'll believe it. You know, because at a certain point, you just have to trust that they're going to get it done when the chips are on the table. And now that there is legitimately no room for error, now that they have that one in the loss column, and they cannot afford to slip up again, mm. and all the chips are down on the table right now, I have faith in Lincoln Riley and this football team. I do. And is it enough to get them back into college football playoff contention? Contention, yes. And like I said, I think they have strong odds to make the four-team field if they went out. Mm. But again, they don't control their own destiny. They need help. So I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, the Sooners are going to get to the college football playoff. I don't know how you can say that at this point based on what we saw today and based on – So the do they or do they not win out in your opinion? I, I do think they win out. Okay. I think they beat Iowa State and I think they beat Oklahoma State twice. Okay. So I do think that come December 5th, Oklahoma is going to be 12-1 and and give the committee something to think about regardless of where things stand at that point. So, okay, uh, real quick, where's Deion Sanders here, by the way? I don't know, on the sideline somewhere? Is he, he's not, is he at Jacksonville or Jackson? Jackson State. Yeah, we're, we've, we're, we've progressed to watching the late-night ESPN programming, which consists of Jackson State and Southern. Okay, anyways, for me... For me, I said earlier that I don't think Oklahoma wins out, and I'm going to stick with that. I don't think they win out. So where does that loss come? Part of me wants to say in Stillwater, but if that happens, they don't make the Big 12 title game. Well, and that's the thing. They went out. I have to. I have to go. They have. I guess they do went out because I. I, in my head, I can't see them not at least competing for the Big Twelve title. And if they get there, in my head, I was thinking, okay, well, they are going to lose, but they're still going to make the Big Twelve title. But they can't unless Baylor loses against K State. Then it still would be Oklahoma State and OU with an OU loss to either Iowa State or Oklahoma State. So I guess I do think they went out. I said earlier in the program and just a second ago that I don't, but in my head, I was thinking they still won the Big 12 because I just don't ever see them losing in that championship game. So I guess Oklahoma comes around and they went out. I, I am not confident in this pick at all. I <laughs> I have about as confidence in this pick as you all do in – I have about as – you know, this is going to be a good joke right now, it's, and it's actually relevant. <laughs> and I'm setting myself up and telling you it's going to be a joke, so y'all be prepared to laugh. I have as much confidence in my picks as Texas does at beating Kansas. Because they just lost Kansas. So they don't have any confidence that they're going to beat Kansas. 
And I had to explain the joke. So it's not funny. Sup. Well, you shouldn't have explained the joke, Brandon. By the way, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to flip channels here in a second because Washington State is tied up with Oregon fourteen all at halftime. So that'll be one worth Very monitoring. Nice. Oregon, <laughs> listen, I I guess I never came full circle with my thoughts on the college football playoff picture. I think your SEC champion is Georgia. I think your Big Ten champion is Ohio State. Those are the one and two seeds in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to believe <laughs> that Oregon is going to win the remainder of their games because I have seen the Pac-12 beat it. itself up and beat yep. itself down far too many times to believe that the Pac-12 is going to produce a one-loss champion. So, again, Oregon is struggling right now with Washington State. So that means you think Oklahoma is going to make the playoffs if I, they win out. I think. <laughs> I think we both think well, that. Yeah, and here's my, here's, here's my other thing. I don't think Cincinnati finishes the season undefeated. I don't, Not I based agree. on what I've seen. From I would that agree. Team. They've would got agree. to play SMU still. They've got to play Houston still. Yep. I just I I don't see it. I'd agree. They gave if, 28 now, if to they, USF today. I think at this point, if Cincinnati does go undefeated, they're in the playoff, no question. Well, then the fourth seed would have to be the Big 12 champ. Yes, in if scenario if Oregon loses, so right now it's either Oklahoma State or Oklahoma for you. As yeah. the as the playoff, there's also going to be Oklahoma. an intriguing case for Notre Dame. No way. If they continue to put wins on the board, there's always a Notre Dame always has a case, always. So, it's everybody just, talks it's, about Oklahoma getting blown out in the playoffs. At no point in time has Notre Dame <laughs> even put up a pulse. Well, Notre Dame is the, the most storied program in college football history, so. By, by who? That's what. Is it, like this story, I watched the 150 the other day. Their their history and them being all great and everything was 1950 and before. After that, they have been nothing short of average on and a regular basis. To kind of bring that thought to a conclusion, though, <laughs> I think two hours later. <laughs> It's only been an hour 25. Okay, my bad. So <laughs> we're encroaching upon 90-minute territory, which is yeah, generally about where we cut, we it, cut off. it off for yep. the post-game podcast, at least, because we run out of things to talk about inevitably. But I think Georgia and Ohio State right now, I would consider them locks, to be honest. I, I think those two teams are just playing at such a high level mm-hmm. that I cannot see them getting beat. If they do, great. Like I said, I'm all for chaos. And, and Give me all the chaos. The high level for Ohio State is after today's game because you can't say last week because they played like trash last week against yes. Nebraska. Okay, fair enough. Now. But that could be said about Oklahoma State too. Exactly. Well, Everybody's had their ups and downs. There might not be a great team in college football, save for Georgia. Everybody else might just be good. Mm-hmm. I think that's very – that's a very realistic But that doesn't mean the point. great team will win at all, by the way. Exactly. Because it only takes one shot, and they're exactly. out. Exactly. Yep. So, I I see absolutely... As Eminem said. I see absolutely zero scenarios in which Georgia doesn't make the college football playoff. They are a mortal lock in my eyes. So, I think you have Georgia. I think you have Ohio State. Again, if Cincinnati wins out, based on how things have transpired the last couple of weeks, I think Cincinnati's it. But I don't think that happens. Yeah, I don't either. And so, if the Big 12 champion has one loss, yes, I think the Big 12 champion is in the college football playoff. And everybody, here's the thing, 
everybody wants to have a visceral emotional reaction to Oklahoma's loss today and say, oh, well, their, their playoff hopes are dead. It was the lead story on ESPN. I pulled up ESPN.com, and the headline was Baylor dashes OU CFP hopes. And I'm sitting there like, that's just not true. That's not true. And I understand that Oklahoma's going to probably drop out of the top 10 yeah. when the new CFP rankings come 12 out. or 13 is where I'd probably... But we have to account go. for the inevitable carnage that the last two weeks will provide with so many of these top 10 teams either That's running into one another yeah. or running into other top 10 teams. And mm-hmm. so, based on the landscape of college football as a whole right now, based on the fact that the ACC is not a factor based on the fact that I do not think Oregon or Cincinnati is going to win the remainder of their games. I think a one loss big 12 champion, whether that is Oklahoma state or whether that's Oklahoma is going to make the college football playoff. It's, it's still there for Oklahoma. It's all still out there. They just need a couple of things to break their way and they need to get back to playing inspired football. They need to flush whatever the hell that was today and they need to get back to playing the motivated brand of football that we saw from them against Texas Tech. The type of football where they walk out onto the field and there is no question in anybody's mind that's wearing the crimson and cream that they are the better team mm-hmm. and they're determined to go and show it. That's fair. I agree. We'll see how it plays out, though, because... Uh... We've talked about this. I feel like we've been saying all this all year long, the same thing, rinse, wash, repeat every week. They've got to come out and play like they want to They want to win a ball game next week and show everybody that they're OU, that they're a really good football team. And Because they haven't done it yet. They haven't done it yet. And again, it, it goes back to the fact that it's not a lack of talent. It is absolutely not. If you're looking at Oklahoma's football team right now and saying that the reason that they are struggling to put these – inferior opponents away and losing to teams that they should beat i.e. Baylor is lack of talent then I, I I don't know what team you're watching because to the naked eye and on paper Oklahoma has one of the most talented teams in college football yeah it's just not gelling and there's no clear reason why if this team plays their best football they're capable of beating anybody they just haven't come close to playing their best football. The most, like, the best football we have seen from Oklahoma all year was against Texas Tech, and that was still a game that left quite a bit to be desired overall. Agreed. They've got to figure something out. They've got to figure something out. I would probably say the second half against Texas was probably the most inspired I've seen them play. And they got to play like that for 16 quarters. Can they? It's yet to be seen. They have not put together a string of two games straight of inspired football yet this season. No, they haven't. And <laughs> it's, again, Brandon, I feel like I keep asking this question and there's no clear answer. Why? Why is this the way that it is? It's I would just, have to say there's some leadership issues on this team, but that's just me. That's just me. I would probably say leadership issues. But somebody's going to say, well, then that goes to the coaches. Does it, though? Is it the coach's fault? Like, the coaches can't force the players to do things. Well, like Like, you said, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. And I guarantee you, 
if Oklahoma falls short of a national championship and everything we've seen from this team thus far suggests that they will, we're going to look back on 2021 and Sooner Nation will look back on 2021 as one of the biggest missed opportunities for Oklahoma football over the past two decades. Right. Right up there with 2017. Because, again, if Oklahoma gets past Georgia in 2017, they're winning the national championship. If two or three plays go the other direction in the Rose Bowl, OU's taking that thing home. They're hoisting the Crystal Trophy at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to say the same thing about 2021. We're going to look at how much talent this roster had on both Mm -hmm. sides. We're going to look at the fact that (laughs) Caleb Williams channeled some crazy magic to vault them past Texas. Look at the fact that they had a defensive line chock full of future NFL studs. We're going to look at the fact that they had the brightest offensive mind in the nation calling the plays, and yet somehow, some way, they could not string together four quarters of their best football when it really mattered. And we're always going to wonder why. Yep. It's a shame. It's a shame that this is how it's going if you're an OU fan. And we're sorry. But it is what it is right now. You would hope that maybe next year's team will have a little bit more. Well, I mean, you don't want to look towards next year. You hope that this team figures something out. But it almost feels like they are what they are at this point during the season. And that nothing is going to change. Nothing. Yeah, and again, go prove us wrong. Like yeah. I will sit here and say, I, I don't think Oklahoma – mentally has national championship makeup. I think physically they do. Mentally, I think in terms of talent, they do. No. Yeah. I think the mental aspect of the game is what's going to hold this Oklahoma team back in 2021 from their full potential. Go prove me wrong, please. I want nothing more than to see that. Because, again, I still think for my money – the most compelling matchup with a national championship at stake is Caleb Williams versus that Georgia defense. Yeah. And every fiber of my being wants to see that matchup. But Oklahoma's got to figure it out if that's going to come to fruition, if we're ever going to have the opportunity to see those two teams square off. Yeah, I just... Oh, I don't know, man. I, I feel like we're just going to sit here and bash the uh, we're just going to bash them from this point on so I think that should do it obviously Oklahoma lost 27-14 today Um, I don't know that we touched on the field goal enough at the end but we both think it was crap so yeah it was a a blatant Lack of sportsmanship yeah. by Dave Aranda. Uh, That's not something you do. And you can try to play it off however you want, and you can try to rationalize it as, oh, you know, it's going to it's gonna help us with a tiebreaker that's going to come into play for the Big 12 championship. No, it's not. That tiebreaker is not going to come into play. It never will. And, again, based on the fact that you preceded that field goal attempt by calling all of your timeouts in the final two minutes of the game, Mm-hmm. to allow your team and your fans to bask in that victory. That Whoa, Deion Sanders is in a wheelchair. 
Why is he in a wheelchair? I don't know. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> anyway, I got distracted. Based on the fact that Dave Aranda called all of his timeouts leading up to that field goal attempt, that made me... That, that led me to believe, and I don't know how it cannot lead someone to believe that Dave Aranda was looking to rub salt in the wound. So, was not a fan of the field goal. I think it was Bush League. I think it was Tiki Tack. Whatever euphemism, whatever adjective you want to use, that's just not something you do. Yeah. Well, doesn't change the fact Oklahoma lost 27-14. They did not play well today. They've got to figure some things out. And if you're an OU fan, you hope they do. It seems like we've been saying this each and every week, and I'm sorry that we keep repeating that. But they do. they got to figure some things out, and maybe this team does. It's weird to say that. After one loss, that was a hell of a hit. It was weird to say after one loss, but losses become bigger than one loss in November for some odd reason as the season winds down, and Oklahoma has to find some way to overcome it, and to do so, they're going to need some some help. Uh, but in the... Most importantly, they're going to need to, you know, play with some heart on offense and defense. Play with some gumption, play with some mental toughness, and do what they need to do on the offensive line. And, you know, catching some passes, seeing Drake Stoop drop passes, seeing Marvin Mims drop passes today, things they don't do normally. Just was a shocking day overall uh, in Waco. So, uh, Oklahoma next week, 11 a.m. kickoff. Big noon. Obviously, the big noon or the big noon show for Fox is going to be there uh, with Bob Stoops and all the guys before the Iowa State game. They set that up prior, thinking Iowa State was going to beat Texas Tech. You know, their field goal kicker decided that wasn't going to happen. They were going to kick a 62 yarder and go ahead and shut that idea down during a walk-off. So Iowa State ended up losing. But it still is a big game with the aspect that Oklahoma has to win to make the Big 12 title. And they've got some soul-searching to do this week. We're going to have a lot of coverage on OU Insider. We're going to have a lot of coverage of Lincoln Riley's presser. i got some questions I want to ask, most importantly – why do you stop running the ball lately so much? I'm going to ask him. Uh, I, that's my plan. Um, in, a, in a, obviously a dignified and professional manner. But I want to ask that question. I think it's a valid question. Why do you keep steering away from the run the last few weeks? Worked against Texas Tech. Not so much against Baylor. But we will have all that covered for you. On OU Insider and OU Insider VIP. We got some recruiting notes coming this week. Obviously, Marvin Jones Jr., Cam uh, Dewberry, Devin Campbell. We're talking five stars here, folks. Oklahoma still in on top four star guys like Javante Barnes, 2022 running back. Like, well, we're going to have some notes for you guys this week. Parker and I will be out and about covering some OK preps uh, prior to the OU game on 11 a.m on Saturday, so be sure that you stay tuned, OUinsider.com. 
But yeah, that's going to do that for, do that for, it's going to end the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. I want to thank Parker Thune for joining me once again. My name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed night. Once again, Oklahoma loses. Snaps her 17-game win streak to Baylor, 27-14. On to Iowa State to see if Oklahoma can go 10-1 on the season and work their way back up into college football playoff contention and stay in the Big 12 title contention. You guys have a blessed day.